If you're new to Orangewood and you're thinking, okay, this place is whacked. Uh, I thought I came to a worship service and I got a little James Taylor. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've never read the book, you're really in for a treat because it's one of those books in the Bible you say, is it really in the Bible? Does the Bible really say this? They'll even say, is it okay that we ask these kind of questions? And so Ecclesiastes is uh, an incredible journey that will lead us uh, to really to trust in God, to put our whole faith and trust that, that God will provide for us. And what we've been doing as we've been journeying together is looking at a song uh, that we know that might summarize uh, for us the passage we are about ready to preach. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, fire and rain. Uh, one of James Taylor's uh, best, uh, it's incredible that Jack can sing JT as well as he does. But it says this, is that in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes is a look at life under the sun. It's a look at life really without a relationship with God. It says, what is life all about? And, and what is the meaning of life uh, uh, underneath the sun? And, and underneath the sun, we see it all, don't we? I mean, we see fire, we see rain. Do you know about those sunny days that you thought would never end? You know those days, maybe it takes you back to your youth or in the summertime where you just, you feel like, man, everything is right. And it seems like this long day of, of happiness, sunny days that you thought would never end. But if you live this life anytime at all, you've also had lonely times. The lonely times where you just, you can't seem to find a friend. And, and for some of you, you might even be there now. And some of you, even in the midst of a crowd, you just may feel so lonely. It's interesting, a phrase he says, once you look down upon me, Jesus, and, and help us make a stand or help me uh, make a stand. Will you, will you help me see through another day? And maybe the way we got to look at that, look at that is this. Jesus, can you help explain to us this world of ours? Can you help explain the mess that we're in? Have you seen the news today? I mean, you see the, the deaths in Apopka, the murders in Apopka, the murders in Daytona, the, the murders of policemen in Mississippi. I mean, Jesus, can you come and can you help us again understand the, the mess we're in? But for many of us, not just the mess out there, but Jesus, can you come in a way that, that helps me understand the mess in here and the brokenness of my own life? You know, we live our lives in we realize something that's kind of startling, that being religious doesn't seem to work. Have you ever noticed that? Did you ever notice that, that being religious or trying to do the right thing or, or trying to, you know, go to church and get involved in a community group and try to, to give and, and try to just, you know, be that religious person? Did you ever notice that trying to do that, just you still realize it doesn't seem to work? I mean, our world's still so broken. And there's so many still broken, messy pieces about my own life. And well, being wicked, well, that's not an option, right? I mean, and so what's, what do we have if, if trying to be religious doesn't work and, and try to be wicked, well, that just doesn't seem right. It begs the question for all of us. And all of us should come here and say, well, is there another way? Is there another way to live? Is there another way to be? If, if being righteous doesn't work and, and being wicked isn't right, well, what's the other way? What do we do? Well, the answer is found in the text for us today. That God is going to provide us another way. 
a way of, of living, a, a way of life, a, a way of, can I even say, life and life abundantly. And it may startle you. It may surprise you. Uh, you may think that, that the way is the way that us of working harder and being more religious and, and just trying harder. It's not the way. And the way isn't walking away, shrugging our shoulders and saying, oh, forget it. I'm just going to live the way I feel is right. I'm going to try to interpret life the way I see it. I'm just going to live for me. It's not way either. The cool thing is, God's got a better way for you. He's got a better way today for you. Listen, I mean, for every one of us, this is God's way. We're, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've been making our way through this really powerful and at times kind of seemingly ridiculous book. And let me give you a little bit more background. It's Again, it's a look at life under the sun without God. It makes some interesting conclusions. It says that all of life, apart from God, it's, it's vanity or it's meaningless. If you're trying to find your way without him in life, there's nothing gained. There's no take-home pay. There's nothing new. There's nothing remembered. Would you give us a better way? It's, it's the Bible's way of, of allowing us to wander. Wander around and take a look at all of life has to offer and brings us to a conclusion. That all that you long for, that all that you need, all the beauty that you just dream of, everything that is broken that you long to be fixed, it can only be found by God's grace in him. So we're going to look at this passage of Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes 7 and in verse 15. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And we're going to read through the rest of the, uh, the chapter. But I want to tell you this. I want to invite you into this and say that this passage of Scripture is, is really, it's like the whole gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, it's going to be incredible because we're only going to look at a few verses this morning. But this is like the entire Bible in, in a micro form. I mean, it's like, it's like everything that God says from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to see pointed to in this little passage of scripture. But let me also give you a fair warning. As I read this and you listen to this, and some of you, this might be the first time, you're going to want to say, that's in the Bible. God, God's word says this. This is, this is a part of the Bible. And, and the preacher tells me not only is it part of the Bible, but this is actually the sum of all the Bible. Yes, it's pretty incredible. So let's open up our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. You'll find in your bulletin the text listed for you there. It should also appear on the screen behind me. But let's be mindful, although this was written a long time ago and a different uh, time and age because God himself breathed upon the one who calls himself preacher who wrote this. This is for you. God has you here for a reason. And it's not just to tell you a story to entertain you. It's to transform you. It's to show you life. So let's, let's look to God's word in Ecclesiastes 7, picking up in verse 15, reading through verse 29. Hear the word of the Lord. In my vain life, my meaningless life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Huh? Why should you destroy yourself? You may want to write that down and say, that's in the Bible. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. 
Why should you die before your time? This is going to be a very important verse, verse 18. We're going to come back to this. This is going to hinge everything. It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who who can find it out? Who can find out the bottom of wisdom? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher. Now, let me tell you, this is going to be one of the most interesting, difficult passages that you've ever heard. This is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have found not, I have not found one man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Let me read that again. Which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Let's hit pause. What preacher? in his right mind, on Mother's Day, (laughs) preaches from this text. (laughs) Lord, help me. I think he will. See this alone, I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Let us pray. Oh, Father, it is so abundantly clear by just reading this text of how much we need you to come and to join us. For you and you alone to be a teacher and to speak through a broken sinner like me. Because on the surface, God, it sounds like here we go again. You got crazy for us. You got crazy. What what are you telling us? Not to be overly righteous? Not to be overly wicked? What in the world? But God, I believe that in this short passage of Ecclesiastes, the whole story of the Bible is told. So would you come and tell it? Would you give us ears to hear the voice of Jesus through the preaching of his word? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you, would you illuminate your word through the power of the Holy Spirit so we could, we could make sense of this and that we can understand it and, and God, understand in a way that, that it works for our lives and apply it to our lives. God, would you so lovingly give each and every one of us a heart of faith, a heart of belief, 
a heart that, that is somehow able to, to embrace this truth, to embrace your love for us. God, come and change all of our hearts. And God, would you be with us in a way that our feet are empowered with the good news of the gospel so that, that we can walk out of here in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. God, I pray that the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, would those things fall away and be forgotten? But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your beloved son, our savior? And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. All right. If you want to follow along with me, there's a uh, outline in your bulletin. The outline's a little bit different today. It's really, it's more of a summary of, of how we're going to digest this, this passage. It's an incredible passage. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of turn this upside down. We're going to, we're going to begin with the ending of the passage. And it's going to allow us to, to kind of walk through that and see all of Scripture as we look to this. This incredible uh, story in the Bible that reveals to us the big story of the Bible. And the first thing we're going to see again in verse 29 is this. The upright way that God made us. Let's go back there and see it. See this alone I found that God made man upright. But they have sought out many schemes. This will tell us that, that God has made us. Of all things that God has made and he has made them glorious. And as we read through the Bible and you get to the book of Genesis, uh, in the beginning, God creates all things. He creates them for them, himself. And everything that God creates, he looks at it and says, pretty good work. It's good stuff. I mean, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the animals. I mean, he creates them all. And it's amazing how powerful this God is. You know how he creates them? He speaks. I mean, God speaks. And, and, and all things come into existence according to the Bible. It's incredible. But the one thing he creates that he says is very good, the one thing that's special, it's like the crown jewel of all of his creation. It's, it's you and it's me. I mean, it's, it's those of us who have been made male and female in the image of God. And this will tell us that, that originally as God made us, he made us in his image to reflect who he is. So what the world sees us, they see him. And if the world sees us, they see him in a way that says, man, that God is good. Look what he has created. He says originally, not only did he make us in his image, he made us upright. He, he made us noble. He made us for his purposes. It says originally we were made, ready for this, holy. And it's kind of a religious word, but it means holy. It means without sin. That he made us not only without sin, but originally without stain. I mean, there's just this perfection of man and woman made in his image. Holy. But he says more than just the gift of his image, more than the gift of holiness. Originally, he gave us the gift of righteousness, which means that God gave us the power to do good, the power to know good. He says that not only to make us in his image, but he made us to walk with him and to know him and, and to reign and rule for him and to do good. The story of the Bible, the story of man, is the story of a God who made us upright. And he made us for himself. You probably don't carry around too many coins these days. Probably don't even have much cash nowadays. Almost everything's on a, on a card. But when you find a brand new coin, don't you stop and look at it? 
I mean, most coins are, are so worn and they're so, you know, sometimes they're so worn you can hardly even tell what image is on it. Well, what president was this? But when you see a new one, when you see a shiny one, sometimes you stop and say, whoa, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Oh, yeah, that's the president on it. You see, originally, we were made shiny. Originally, we were made beautiful. Originally, we were made upright. We were made for him. But something happened. It says in verse 29 that, that we schemed, that there was a scheming that man had, that, that we decided, right for this, that we thought that we would know better on our own, that, that we thought that life would be more abundant without God, that, that we thought it would be better if we ruled ourselves, that, that we thought it would be better if we just kind of pushed God to the side and we kind of made our own decisions and we set our own rules and we schemed. And we schemed away from God and we rebelled to a God who had created us for himself, saying basically, forget you, I want to live for me. And we see, secondly, the consequences of our scheming. I love the verse 29, how it's translated in the message. The message is a, is a Bible that you may buy. Uh, maybe some of you even have the translation of the message. It's, a, it's a very readable. It's very good. It's not a literal translation, which means it doesn't look to the Hebrew and Greek and, and try to get it exact. The message is more of a paraphrase where, where the one who is interpreting says, How did, what is he really trying to say here? And so you've got to be a little careful because it is a paraphrase, but it really paraphrases well. Verse 29, it says this, the consequences of our scheming. God made man and women true and upright. That's how we originally were made. But we're the ones who made a mess of things. We're the ones who schemed. We're the ones who made a mess of things. You want to know what's wrong with the world? You. Me. You want to know why, why the world's broken? We, we're the reason why the world's broken. <laughs> I mean, because of our scheming, everything was broken. Let's start with ourselves. We are broken. Because of men and women scheming to try to, to, to do their own thing and rebel against God, we are no longer upright. I mean, each one of us comes into this world broken, incredibly broken. Because of our sin, because of actually Adam and Eve's first sin, we, we've lost our original righteousness. We, we've lost our original holiness. We, we come into this world broken. Scripture says it this way. It's not even that we're neutral. It's not even that we come into the world like a blank slate. It says the result of our schemes, listen, the result of our schemes has put us in enmity with God. That we come out angry. We come out broken. We come out selfish. And if you don't believe it's true, spend a little time in our nursery. No one has to spend, tell a kid, I want you to be selfish. You got to learn how to say, mine, 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 mine. You got to learn how to knock a kid over. You got to learn how to think that life's all about you. I mean, listen, that's the way we come out. Because why? We're all sinners. That's what the Bible tells us. That we're all broken. And not that we're neutral, but we're actually an enmity with God. And the scripture will say it this way, that we are by nature children of wrath. Oh my goodness. I mean, by nature, there's a rebellion in us. We're children of wrath. By nature, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Don't even have the ability to move toward God. I mean, this is what the Bible tells us as a result of our scheming. Let's look at verse 20. It says it this way in verse 20. There is no one on earth that is righteous, not one. No one who does good, not one. No one who never sins. That's a picture of humanity. It's a picture of you. It's a picture of me. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, he will say it this way in Romans 3, 23. He says, all have sinned. 
Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the perfection of God. Romans 3.10, he'll say there's not one righteous. No, not one. There's no, not one who seeks good. Not one. That we are so broken. Verse 21 will just tell us the results of that. People sin against you and you sin against people. How many of you right now have a broken heart of someone who has sinned against you? I mean, how many of you are dealing with wounds, uh, not just from words, but from actions of those who have sinned against you? I mean, how many of you are deeply struggling right this moment because you have been sinned against? Because we live in a broken world. But he flips that around and says, but you know that you've sinned against others. You know there's not one of you who's not guilty. We all are. And they'll say this in verses 26 through 28. He will start to unpack both Men and women are evil. All right, let's talk for a minute. What in the world was he getting at that he found one man in a thousand and O for a thousand for women? What was he talking about for goodness sakes? Well, let's put this in perspective. First of all, it was his observation. The Bible is not saying that all women are worthless. And by the way, it said 999 men were, okay? But the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes leads us to believe that this is, this is Solomon who writes it. At least it has what some commentators will say, the mantle of Solomon. So when we read this, we are to think and hear Solomon. If you know anything about Solomon in the Bible, you ready for this? He's a terrible chooser of women. He chooses, he chooses them abundantly. The guy had like 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the guy had about a thousand women. And the Bible tells us that his chooser was so broken with women that they led his heart astray. So if you put it in the context of his own personal uh, observation, maybe it makes more sense. But let me tell each and every one of you, male or female, it doesn't matter. There's good news and bad news. Male and female, there's some amazing good in both of you. Male and female, because listen, all of us were made in his image. Male and female, there's no distinction in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor uh, Greek, male nor female. That, that, that in our very beings, in God, we are equal. You ready for this? It says that if you are in Christ Jesus, male or female, all of us are co-heirs with Christ. All of us are beloved children. I mean, the good stuff is for all of us. All of us are made in his image, but also the bad stuff for all of us. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us has fallen. Solomon's observation was one in a thousand man was okay. And oh for a thousand for women. Let me tell you my observation. I have found more godly women than men. I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a household blessed with both, a, a male and female, a, a man and woman, godliness. But the, the number of women around me that love Jesus is, is just such an incredible blessing. Forget me. Let's talk about Jesus. He was continually surrounded with godly women. I mean, godly women were the ones who helped support his ministry financially. Godly women are ones who sat at his feet and listened like disciple. Godly women are the one who, who served and, and served and, and cooked and did his needs as well. Not just like in the kitchen. They were in the kitchen. They were in the discipleship room. They walked with life. They were there at the cross with him. Godly women were continually in his life and shaping his ministry. And it's beautiful. So the point is, he is in love with both male and female. Together, we are one in Christ Jesus, but together we're all a mess. And that's just the reality of what he is saying. You see the result of our scheming is we're all broken. 
Not only are we all broken individually, but the result of our skiing, the, the world is broken. It says in verse 15, in our vain lives, what a description of our lives apart from God. It's just meaningless. In our vain lives, we see that everything is vanity. And he says it this way. I mean, the righteous person perishes, and the way it goes like this, the righteous perish, perishes in his righteousness. I mean, the guy who, who runs up the stairs of a burning tower on 9-11, the guy who runs to, to save the lives of others, I mean, the righteous one, he perishes as well as the others. How many times have you, have you heard the news or had the phone ring or, or get the news that, that, that a loved one, I mean, a, the good one, the righteous one, they're gone. I mean, we live in a world that's so broken that even it's like, it's like no good deed goes unpunished, right? Because everything is broken. And not only that, it just seems crazy because it seems like the, the wicked people seem to be winning. It seems like even by doing evil, they're prolonging their lives. But we are going to see that there's hope. Okay, the original creation of man were upright. We schemed and we became broken. Not only us, but our world. And then we see this crazy saying. The third thing is, is the problem with our righteousness. What in the world does the Bible says don't be overly righteous? What in the world could he be saying to us? Well, he's saying this. This is so important. We can't make right what is broken on our own. We, we can't make straight what is crooked. It's basically saying as, as religious as you are and as righteous as you are, you're not going to fix it. You're not going to fix yourself. I mean, the broken pieces inside of you, you and I don't have the ability to to make them right. We can't do good enough to make them right. We don't have enough wisdom on our own to straighten out our own lives, let alone straighten out the world. But you know what he's really saying here when he says don't be overly righteous? There was a suspicion. There was a thought that, hey, if I live rightly, If I do the right thing, if I'm righteous, God owes me. God owes me. So you know what? So if I if I if I go to church and I and I help people and I and I give and and, and I and I try to be nice and I try to turn the other cheek and I try to do these really good religious, you know what's the end of the day that somehow God is in my corner in a way, I got him. I got God. And somehow we think that if I do the right thing, I could, listen, I can manipulate God. I could get the front row parking spot at the mall. I could get a big raise. I could, I could avoid cancer. My, my kids are going to be really easy to raise. I'm not going to have to worry about anybody who dies too young in my family. And saying, You can never put God in a headlock. And sometimes we think if we do the right thing and we're righteous and we're religious, that somehow we could turn and have God cry uncle to us. And all of a sudden, he could become that magic genie God that we long for. Don't be overly righteous. Don't put the hope in your religion. Don't put hope in your own good works. In God's holy eyes, they're just filthy rags. Okay, let's, let's look at it this way. How, who did Jesus have the hardest time when he walked around the earth with? Who did he have the hardest time with? 
It was the religious folks. We call them Pharisees or Sadducees. And these religious folks, these Pharisees, let me tell you about them. They had the longest prayers. And they were the most religious of religious folks. I mean, when it came to giving a tithe and offering, they got down to their, like their herbs, their, their mint and their dill. And they tithed everything. And everything about their life was religion. And they wanted you to know it. They wanted you to look at them and say, look at how religious they are. And you know what Jesus thought of them? Oh my goodness, he called them whitewashed tombs. He called them brood of vipers. I mean, he kind of publicly humiliates them because they had a religion that was external. Because he says, you're going to worship me with your your lips, but your heart is really far from me. Everything about what you do is really to try to manipulate me, God is saying. Your religion is repugnant to me, Jesus says. Because it's not about me, it's about you. It's about you trying to justify yourselves. But you know what else Jesus says? This is crazy. This is crazy. This is Jesus himself. In one sense, he says, don't be overly righteous. In one sense, he tells the Pharisees, you're you're a mess. But then he says these words. Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. What the heck does that mean? We'll get to that. Have you ever felt that God owes you? I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever felt that God owes you something because of the righteousness you've done? Have you ever gone through life and say, I deserve better than this? I mean, seriously, have you ever thought, come on, I'm a good person. I've done the right thing. Have you ever looked across the way and seen your neighbors seemingly prosper and you know the truth of their life? Say, come on, what about them? That's ridiculous. How in the world can that be? I mean, some of you are probably sitting here right now saying, that's how I feel. Let me be honest with you. I mean, God owes me more than this. I've been good. I've been a member of a church. I've given a tithe. I deserve better than this. If that's the way you feel, this text is really for you. And it's telling you, screaming into your ears, don't be overly righteous. Because somehow you feel like you've done something to deserve grace, mercy, and goodness. Well, then we get to the folly of wickedness. The folly of wickedness. Now, I'm going to say something so profound, you're going to write it down. Wickedness doesn't end well. My pastor told me. uh, He he exegeted the text. Wickedness doesn't end well. I'm supposed to be funny because we all know it doesn't. Anyway, it may seem to be the way to live, but it never ends well. Have you looked at other people's life and say, come on. How come? How come it looks so easy? Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is this incredible, uh, wonderful, honest psalm. An honest psalm that, that takes a look at life. And he says this. He says, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, my, my foot almost slipped. I, I almost gave up on everything. I almost quit life. I almost quit following after God. Because why? I looked at the wicked and their life was so easy. I mean, everything seemed to come so naturally to them. And, and their kids seemed good and, and they seemed to get the right, right raises and their lawn looked greener. And I mean, everything was better. Their vacations were better. I looked at the wicked. Everything was good. And I looked at my life and everything was hard. Everything was difficult. And I said, forget it. I'm about ready to walk away. This stinks. But he did this. He says, but then I walked into the house of the Lord. I walked into the worship and I remembered their end. I remember what happens to them. 
I remember, though, that there's a reality that every one of us will have to stand before God one day. And they stand in their own righteousness. If they think they could stand before God because of what they've done, they're crazy. And I remembered and I worshiped. And this is really what the sec- when the text says, don't be overly wicked, it's basically saying this, don't give up and walk away. Because some of you are going to say, I, I tried religion. I, I, tried, I tried it and it didn't work. And so now forget it. I just want to walk away. I want to say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I feel is best. And it just won't work. All right. So here we got, you can try religion. It doesn't work. Don't be overly righteous. You can walk away and try wickedness and it doesn't work. So what works? And here's where we see the gospel. And here's where we see the grace of God. And here's where we see the beauty of his son, Jesus. And here's what we see the hope of all of scripture. And here's what we see that separates us from any other religion in the world. Here's we see the beauty of the grace of God and how he provides for us. And we see it in the blessed hope of fearing God. A phrase that was very kind of difficult to understand. We'll talk a minute about what that means. But look again at verse 18. Verse 18 says this. It is good that you should take hold of this. And he's basically saying take hold of both righteousness and wickedness. And from that withhold not your hand. Don't don't let go of righteousness. And, And somehow he's telling us don't let go of wickedness. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. What this really means is, there's the one in relationship with God, the one who fears God, the one who, not like, oh my gosh, I, I can't go in his presence, I'm really terrified of him, he's big and strong, and he's going to punish me. This is a fear of God, realizing there is a God who is. And he's created everything. And I owe him everything. And I look to him to provide me a way that's different than my righteousness or my wickedness. And I look to him to provide for me in faith. And it's going to be found in the work of his son. You see, there's a better way than our personal righteousness. And there's a better way than our wickedness. And the way is the gospel way, the, the way of knowing and loving and trusting and fearing God to provide for us. Do you know that everything God requires of us, God provides for us? Did you know that about God? Do you know he's a holy God that demands perfection? Everything that God asks of you, he provides for you. And it says the only way to win, the only way to win in life is not trying to be righteous and it's not being wicked. The only way in life is to hold somehow to both of them and watch God bring winning, emerging out of both. How does that work? Well, it's obvious reverence and awe for God, trusting him to provide a better way. And here, let's unpack that. Holding on to both righteousness and wickedness, he's basically saying, he's saying, know this, as you look into righteousness, know that, that you're not righteous. What a gift that know that you are broken. Know that you are sinful. Yes, you might be nicer than your neighbor. And, and yes, you might do some fantastic philanthropic things. Congratulations. Good things. But in holy God's eyes, there's none of us who are righteous. No, not one. Hold on to the reality that you are a sinner. Hold on to the reality that you and I deserve God's wrath. Hold on to the reality that if we demand justice from God, we get hell. 
hold on to the reality that we're not righteous and hold on to the reality that all of us are wicked. Now, don't forget, I got to tell you, I'm feeling bad. All of us are made in his image. There's good in us because it's his image. But all of us are wicked. I mean, all of us have cursed our neighbors. All of us are broken. And God, God says to us, we're, we're, we're to hold on to both and look for him to provide a better way. And as we hold on to both, may he give us eyes to see, nail-pierced hands in both righteousness and wickedness. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us about Jesus. You see, it says, your scheming has led you astray. May, may the schemes lead us to Jesus because in Jesus and Jesus alone, he is the power of God. In Jesus and Jesus alone, he is the wisdom of God. In Jesus and Jesus alone, he is the righteousness of God. It's, it's in Jesus that we are to live. Listen to what it says in verse 24b. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now in verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you know what this is telling us? It's not about your religion. It's not about your righteousness. That, that you and I are to trust in Christ to be our righteousness. And it's basically saying this. Put your faith in the reality that God would provide for you one who would come and live the life you and I were supposed to live. And now that God has given us this incredible gift, you ready for this? God has given us the righteousness of Christ, God's righteousness. He, he wants you to live your life so radically free, so amazingly forgiven, that he's not telling you try harder. He's not telling you try to be better. He says, no, by grace, I've provided everything you need. I'm not looking for your righteousness. It's, it's filthy rags in my sight. I'm not trying to have you be a little better. I'm making you new. I'm going to give you my righteousness. Trust in Christ to be your righteousness. Trust in Christ to take away your wickedness. And that leads us to the cross, the reality that, that everything that separates us from a loving God, everything that, that causes us to, to experience hell and brokenness, that God says, I'm going to take it away from you. I'm going to take it away from you. I, and here's how God takes away our wickedness. You ready for this? His son becomes it. It's incredible. You see, God took him who knew no sin the righteous one, Jesus. He took him and he placed him on a Roman cross and he poured out his wrath upon him. Why? So that Jesus would become, you ready for this? Your wickedness. He'd become your filth. He'd become your brokenness. Why would he do that? Because he loves you that much, that deeply and tenderly. Why? So that he could have an incredible exchange in you. And he says, now I want to become your righteousness. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to robe you with the greatest robe you've ever had. Everywhere you go, you're going to be seen in my eyes with it. It's not going to be about what you do. It's going to be about what my son has done. On your worst day, in the midst of your worst sin, in the midst of your worst filth, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are robed with God's righteousness. That's incredible good. That's incredible good. And God's not up there saying, ah, good day, bad day, I like you, I don't like you. Not at all. He says, everything I've required of you, I've provided for you, my son. He became your filth so you could become his righteousness. 
That is God's grace. That's the story of the Bible. That is the good news, not just of Ecclesiastes, but for all of us all the way home. Trust in Christ to be your righteousness. Trust in Christ to take away your wickedness. Trust in Christ to be your wisdom of how to live. Trust in Christ to be the power of God to give you the ability to live the way we are made to live. You see, in Christ Jesus, he says, we've been made new. We've been made upright. We've been made given a gift of truly living. In closing, how are you living your life? How are you living your life? You trying to be overly righteous? I mean, let's be honest for a second. Some of you think it's noble to be righteous. Some of you think that God's calling you to be extra righteous and good. You know what scripture tells you? Repent. (laughs) Stop it. Quit it. It's not that God doesn't want us to be good. Of course he does. But he never wants our goodness to be that which is our identity. He wants his goodness to be our identity, right? He wants to set us radically free, free to know he's with us and for us and sets us free to live our lives in a way that's amazingly grace-filled. And if you think for one nanosecond that God owes you because you are a good person, repent. You are trying to find standing apart from Jesus Do you know how repugnant it is for us to stand in the place of Jesus? If God has given us the ultimate gift of his son's righteousness, don't try to turn in your own. Keep coming and giving them Christ's righteousness. But God, you've provided for me. I've messed it up again. Here I go again. I'm in the same pigsty I was in yesterday. But I'm yours. And I'm free. And I'm alive. Because he's given us now the power to to live that life that he's called us to, knowing that we are his. Are you trying to be overly wicked? Are are you close to walking away from it all? Are you close to bagging it and say, you know what, I tried being good and I just can't, so let me just forget it all? I know there's some of you on that cusp. It doesn't end well. God gives you so much more. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing that Christ is your righteousness, that Christ is the power of God. That Christ and Christ alone is the one that brings us home. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the amazing gift that you've given to us. And God, it's incredible that we still try to earn our way. I mean, the story of the Bible is a story of a God who creates us upright. And we decide to scheme and go off on our own and we break everything. And Jesus comes and fixes everything. And yet we still think that it's about us trying to do good. It's trying to to make things right. Instead of embracing the gift that Jesus came to make all things good and right. And Jesus, you always finish what you start. And even when we still wander the pigsty, your love still meets us there and calls us home. We thank you that at the end of the day, it's not our grip on you that's going to win the day. It's your grip on us. And God, if this is true and your word says it is, we should be the people that are, that are incredibly set free, that are truly alive, that have called to be fruitful for your kingdom. And God, for the one who's trying to be overly righteous, would you break their heart? Would you frustrate their plans and love? And would you point them to a Roman cross? And to the ones who are overly wicked, walking away from you, Would you show them that that doesn't end well? And may they hold, may each of us hold in our hands 
righteousness and wickedness where we see Jesus' nail-pierced hands that cause us to win the day for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.